that take us through these words of Jesus, this parable of Jesus. And like Iva said, we're in a new year. It is 2020. It is the first Sunday that we can meet together. And in this parable, Jesus talked about building. Now, I'm no builder, but I remember when Mishan and I were buying our home, we would look to see if there were any structural problems in the houses we visited. We were told to, to look on the roads to see if there were cracks, to look on the driveways to see if there were cracks, and that, that could indicate that there was earth moving underneath and that there was structural problems. We would look to see if the houses that we wanted to, to buy were strong. And if you were really serious about it, you would pay for a building inspection to be done on the house. And this morning is a time for us to do a building inspection on our lives. Because Jesus says there are two ways to live. One way is like building a house without a foundation. It's shoddy and weak, and if something comes against it, it will fall over in total destruction. The other way is building a house with a foundation, a house that is strong and sturdy, and when something comes against it, it will stand. So this morning, we have a chance to do a building inspection on our lives and ask, what kind of house is my life like? What, what kind of house is my faith building? You see, Jesus is looking for followers who would not only come to him and hear from him, but put his words into practice. And I think to ask this question, what kind of house is my life like, is so appropriate for us to do on the first Sunday of the new year. Because this is a time where we can look ahead and make sure that we are going in the right direction. Because we want to make sure that we are building a house and building our lives on a strong foundation. Because if we aren't, Jesus says we could end up in total ruin. So let's listen to our teacher and learn from him. Jesus starts by pointing out the big issue that underlies our shoddy house building. The big issue, not the magazine, but the first point of the sermon. A big issue. We face a big issue in Christianity, and it's called superficiality. Superficiality. Jesus calls it out when he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you come up to me and say, You're the king, but don't do what I say? He's pointing out superficiality in his followers, and it was a problem in his day, and it's a problem in our day too. Jesus says, you cannot call me Lord and forever gossip about people you don't like. You cannot call me Lord and forever neglect the poor. If you call me Lord, listen to my teaching and put it into practice. Do it continually. Base your life upon it. You see, Jesus wasn't just interested in acquiring people's admiration or respect. He wasn't just interested in acquiring listeners or building a building with people that would listen to him to make himself feel good. No, he actually wanted to change people. He actually wanted to change our world, and he actually wants to change us here today too. And so he warns us. He says, the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on a ground without a foundation. In other words, it was superficial. Because the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Jesus warns us about superficial 
Christianity. The kind of Christianity where you listen to Jesus' words, but don't practice Jesus' words. It's not just unwise, it's, it's totally unsafe. Its end is destruction. But he not only warns us, he, he also gives us a big promise to encourage us to do what he says. This is our second point, a big promise, a big promise from Jesus. He said, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. That's the best compliment you can ever give to a, a guy, by the way. Go up to them and say, you are well built, mate. That's what I thought of when I read this, I don't know. Anyway, Jesus says if we will put his words into practice, if we will base our lives on them, we will be like a wise builder who builds a strong house on strong foundations. We'll be like someone who takes the time to, to dig deep, to dig out an area, lay down a foundation, put the hard work in, and put Jesus' teaching into practice. And when the flood comes, our house will stand. But what does the flood represent? This is something I was asking a lot as I was preparing the sermon. What does the flood represent? Most commentators take two options, and I, I would agree that we can, we can view it in two ways. The primary way we should view it is as a picture of judgment. So it describes the day when Jesus returns and, and calls everyone to account, and when he does that, our building quality will be revealed for what it is. The judgment will reveal whether we have built our life on Jesus' teachings or whether we have just spent a lifetime listening to them. It will reveal whether we have practiced what we have preached, what he has preached, or whether we just preach about the kind of life he practiced. The flood is a picture of judgment, primarily. The secondary thing the flood can represent are the general troubles we face in life. So when, when troubles come up in a broken world, they will touch our lives, and Jesus encourages us by telling us that if we will listen to him and obey him, we don't need to be absolutely devastated by them. We'll be ready. We'll be ready to face them with strength. Now, I don't know about you, but it's only five days into 2020, and I've already needed Jesus' strength dozens of times. Just put me in a room with my newborn baby crying for over 10 minutes. I need to put him down, go out, pray. Mishan goes in and does it for me for a while. Come knock on the door. Do you need some help? No, you can't do it. Okay. I'll just keep praying. But I've already needed it dozens of times. And more seriously, though, I know that we have brothers and sisters in this church who are going through terrible difficulties right now. Some of them are watching loved ones suffer with illness and disease. The troubles of this life are real, and we want to be ready to face them when they come. We need a strong foundation. We need inner strength to face life storms, and we need to build a life that will stand when judgment day comes. So how do we do this? How do we live like this? Is it just a decision? 
Okay, I'm, I'm going to build a strong house. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out these doors this Sunday, and I'm going to make a plan, and I'm going to put it into practice. I, I'm going to do it. Friends, we're going to need more than our own willpower to live like this. Education is not the answer either. If it was just about knowing more, I mean, why is it that we don't obey Jesus sometimes? We already know that we should, but yet so many Christians don't put his teachings into practice. It's not because of a decision problem or an education problem. It's because of a sin problem. Sin is the issue behind all of our issues, including our superficial Christianity. We're born into sin. We live under it. And unless God comes to the rescue, we die in it. We're born as slaves to the, to the power of sin, this, this power, this influence in our lives that encourages us towards superficial Christianity. So we don't need more superficial solutions. We need a big solution. We need a God-sized solution that can help us put Jesus' teaching into practice for a lifetime. This is our third point, a big solution, a big solution. In verse 45 of our chapter, the verse just preceding what we've just read, Jesus gives us the secret to a lifetime of good building. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. So Jesus says our hearts are kind of like storehouses. When we go through life, we go into the storehouse and, and we bring out whatever is in there. We might be able to fake on the surface some good things for a little while, but ultimately our lives will end up looking like whatever is stored in our hearts, stored in our true self. And this means that if we want to do the good that Jesus teaches, if we want to practice what Jesus preached, then we need good treasure stored up in our hearts. Our translation doesn't use the word treasure, but the ESV uses treasure, and I'm going to keep using it. We need good treasure stored up in our hearts. If we want to practice what Jesus preached, then we need this. And I love this truth because it's actually so liberating and so insightful about how we work as human beings. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, the good people are the ones who worked harder than the others. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, the good people are the ones who knew their Bible better than the others. He says, the good people are the ones who are filled with good treasure. So, so Jesus is saying, if you want to change the direction of your life, you actually have to deal with your treasure problem. You see, you were created to be a pleasure seeker. Pleasure, joy, desire, those are your greatest motivators. Not shame or anything else that you think religion is based on. And Jesus says, let me tell you something exciting. I have come to change the treasure that is in your heart. I have come to remove your bad treasure and fill your heart with good treasure. I have come to help you see that I, God in the flesh, am the supreme treasure. And when that happens, it will be your joy to follow me. It will be your pleasure to practice my teachings, and you will not be able to stop yourself from building a strong house with good foundations. And God actually promised this treasure change hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. He promised to, to give his people new hearts 
filled with a new treasure, the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Ezekiel 36 says. God says to his people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will remove from you your hard heart and give you a soft heart. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will put my spirit in you And I will help you to obey my words and to practice my teachings. I will do it through the Spirit. And Jesus brought these promises to reality. He not only said, you need to put my words into practice. He not only said, you need a treasure change. He's also the one who went to the cross so that he could pay the penalty for everything that has flowed out of the bad treasure of our hearts. You see... We deserve judgment, but he gives us grace. Jesus is not just a truth-telling teacher. He is a grace-giving savior. He died to deal with our treasure problem. He died to pay the penalty for our wrongs, and he died in our sin and rose again free from sin's reign. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the beginning of a new creation, a new humanity, that is free from sin's power. And when we put our faith in him, God joins our life to Jesus' life so that it's as if we died with him on the cross, paying our penalty and dying to the power of sin. It's as if we rose with him from the grave as a new person, free from the power of sin, so that we could be made so clean before God that even his own Holy Spirit could make his home in us. This is what happens when we put our faith in Jesus. And Jesus is here this morning, friends. He's present. He's here. His spirit dwells within us. And we can come to him. We can ask him for forgiveness for our sins. We can ask him for forgiveness for superficial Christianity. And he is so willing to forgive us. He died to forgive us. And he's not just content to forgive us. He wants to totally transform us. He gives us what we need to live for him. He gives us his Holy Spirit, a new heart filled with new treasure. So that as we go through life, we can draw from the storehouse. We can draw out from the storehouse from the resources of the Holy Spirit and do good and love others and put Jesus' teaching into practice. We can because of Jesus. That's the big solution. Paul said in Romans 6, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You put your faith in Jesus and this becomes reality, that you've died with him and that you've been raised by the Father with him into newness of life. So how do we respond to this? Well, let me just say a word to our seeker friends first. If you are here and you are seeking, but you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, then it's so good to have you with us. You are so welcome here. 
And I hope that you've seen that Christianity isn't first and foremost about how to live. It's first and foremost about how Jesus lived and died and rose again for us. Christianity is first and foremost good news about something Jesus has accomplished in our world. And and that's what powers obedience to Jesus' teaching. That's what powers the wise builder. So if you haven't yet received what Jesus has done for you, I just want to encourage you to keep seeking him. You can talk to him. You can pray to him. You can ask him to come into your life. You can ask him to give you the Holy Spirit. You can ask him for forgiveness. You can ask him to change you. You can speak to him. Now, if you're a Christian and you're trying to put Jesus' teaching into practice, I hope that you see that God has provided you with the resources to put his teaching into practice. Jesus doesn't instruct us in life to make us feel guilty. He doesn't instruct us in life to tell us how far we fall short. He instructs us in life because he knows the best way to live and because he gives us the resources we need to obey. He wants to lead us into a truly human life, life as it was meant to be. And if you will keep obeying him, he promises you a big life. Is our final point, a big life. He promises us big life. I mean, two things by this. He promises big time reward. If we continue to put Jesus' teaching into practice, we will be like a man who builds a really strong, sturdy home. We will be strong when last floods burst against us. We will be sturdy. We won't just give in and give up and, and be filled with all these doubts and throw in the towel and then six months later when things have calmed down, we come back to Jesus. No, we will have the ability to face life's troubles with a strength of heart, with hope. How about that for 2020? And at the end of time, when the judgment flood comes, we will remain standing. Because our workmanship will be the evidence of God's work in our lives. He promises us big life because he promises us big rewards, but it's also a big life because he calls us to a big work, a big work. Jesus said that practicing his words will be like a man building a house who dug down deep. Now, there are a couple of writers in Jesus' time who wrote in the first and second century who said, digging is the hardest kind of work. It's the hardest kind of manual labor. Jesus was aware of this. So he doesn't say this lightly. He knows that putting his words into practice is going to be hard. It's going to take discipline, but it's worth it. So why don't we, as as God's people right now, just take some time to apply what Jesus is saying to us. I mean, wouldn't it be a tragedy if we spent 30 minutes this morning speaking about how Jesus tells us to follow him and to practice his words, and then we ended the service and didn't actually think about how to put some of it into practice. So let's take the time to apply what he's saying. And here are two things that I think can help us put Jesus' teaching into practice for a lifetime. The first thing we can do is plan to build strong. Plan to build strong. Putting Jesus' words into practice is going to take intentionality. You don't just float into a life of this. I mean, the easy road, actually, Jesus said, is the one that leads to destruction. But we want to take the road that leads to life, the narrow road 
It's harder, and it's going to take intentionality. I'm not a planner myself. I prefer to be spontaneous, but I know that I need to plan rhythms into my life if I'm going to spend a lifetime following Jesus. So how can you and I plan to build our lives on Jesus' teachings? Well, here are some things that we could put into practice. Once a day, we could set aside some time where we spend time with God in His Word. We, we speak to Him. We listen to Him. And we just ask Him to help us put into practice whatever we, it is we are reading. Or, as we are reading, maybe once a week, we take an action point And we write that down and we say, this is one thing I'm going to do in response to what I'm hearing from Jesus through his word this week. Another thing it could look like is setting aside a couple of hours or a few hours each week to be alone with God. Maybe you need to ask your spouse to give you this time. And you can just go for a walk somewhere or sit down somewhere. You can go for a walk by a lake. And you can just be alone with God, talk to him. Talk to him about what's on your heart, process with him, and then ask yourself, am I being a disciple? Am I obeying Jesus? Am I putting his teachings into practice? Lord, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want me to change? Maybe those action steps are too big for you right now, and you just need to simply start by asking yourself a regular question, and it's that one I just mentioned, am I being a disciple? It's amazing how much that changes things. I've been trying to do it a little bit lately. I got that question from a guy called Dallas Willard who's since passed, but he was a man who really wanted to put Jesus' teaching into practice. Am I being a disciple? You can ask that regularly. You can ask that while you're driving, in traffic, and you're getting a little bit heated. Am I being a disciple? You can ask that in your workplace when you're feeling stressed. Am I being a disciple? You can ask that while your kids are screaming and you're tempted to spit the dummy out at them. Am I being a disciple of Jesus here, now, today? I encourage you to think about this after the service. Let's plan to build strong. The second thing we can do is take up an immediate challenge. Take up a challenge. Let me explain what I mean. The verses that we looked at today are the final words in a sermon that Jesus preached. So when he says, put my words into practice, it immediately applies to the sermon he just preached. Let me read a section of it to you. Jesus said, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, that's challenging stuff. And what I've done is created a few specific challenges based on those words. And I'm going to put them up on the screen, and I challenge you to do one of them over this next week before we meet again next Sunday. Here are the three challenges. First one is spend five minutes praying for an enemy. Praying for a person or a group that has mistreated you, hates you, cursed you, or that you simply consider an enemy. Maybe it's someone you don't like, or maybe it's someone who doesn't like you. Maybe there's a political party that you really despise. Spend some time praying for the people in that party. Bless them. Ask God to do good to them. That's a lot like Jesus. Spend five minutes 
praying for a person or a group that you consider an enemy. Second thing you can do is put some money aside and give it away. Maybe it's 2% of your earnings for the week. Maybe it's $20, $50. The amount doesn't matter. But put that money aside, keep it on you wherever you go, and look for an opportunity to give it away. Maybe you work in the city, and there'll be someone asking for money that you can give it to. Maybe one of your workmates or one of your friends will say, money's tight at the moment, and you can just take $50 out and say, here you go, take this. Maybe someone is riding your bumper in traffic and they're road raging, and you just, instead of flipping the bird out the window, you put your hand out and say, come to the side, you drive off, and they're ready for a fight, and they get out and they're ready to argue with you, and you just take out $50 and say, here you go. I just thought that would be so funny. That, that would actually be pretty uh, interesting if someone could do that. That would be amazing. That's the second thing that we can do. The third thing that we can do is do to others as you would have them do to you. Do something else that you would be particularly blessed by. Maybe you appreciate words of encouragement. Write a letter of encouragement to someone. Maybe you appreciate acts of service. Go and mow someone's lawn or make a meal for them. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So those are the three challenges. I challenge you to do one of them before we meet again next week. And if you want, you can take a moment to write one down or take a photo of the screen or uh, write it in your phone if you'd like. It would be so, so exciting if all of us put one of these things into practice over the next week. Imagine the influence and the impact we'd have as a people. So those are the challenges. We are called to be followers of Jesus, and followers of Jesus practice Jesus' teachings. So let me close with Jesus' promise again as we go out and do this. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came... The torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are gathered here today as followers of you, as your disciples, as your people. And Lord, we ask that you would fill us again with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us with all the fullness of God, that you would fill our hearts with good treasure, that, Lord, you would be our treasure, that you would be our joy, that we would see you in all your glory and that it would be our great joy to follow you, to do whatever pleases you. Lord, we may, may we not go through life in shame. May we not go through life willy-nilly, just floating. May we go through life with hearts that are full of good treasure and lives that are full of good works. Lord, help us. Use us for your glory. And Lord, we just pray that as we put these challenges into practice this week, Lord, that people would be blessed. We ask, Lord, as your people, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on this earth and in our lives. We love you. We bless your name. Lead us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us, church? And hear these, hear these words from the letter of 2 Corinthians. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.